Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to Get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 150 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Kill La Kill episodes 13 through 15, where schools launch all-out war against each other, the gang leader of Osaka uses money like Dwight Schrute, and clothes can gain great power by taking it directly from your skin. Look, I'm not saying that normal clothes do not gain power from your skin, but we also can give the great clothes god our power by giving them additional blood. We can give it to them in dye form, or we can inject it directly into our clothes. All I'm saying is that I'm starting a brand new religion today. It's the clothing religion, and our patron saint of Dior will be coming to your house shortly to gather tithes. Anyways, let's jump in. Creepy, first of all. Look, I'm not saying that they're all going to be funny. Sometimes they're just going to be ominous. (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading a lot of... I've been doing some research because I'm interested in creating a Lovecraftian podcast thing, and I I will say, the more I read Lovecraft stuff, the more crazy I feel like my brain gets, mm. so that's, there's that's, that. Uh, that's appropriate. Yeah, I guess so. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit of that color from outer space. Well, um, good luck, and I'm glad that we don't live too close to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when you see me next, I'll have gills and I'll have an Innsmouth look about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you will have seen that which must not be seen. Yeah, man, more Lovecraft references. Anyways, hey everybody, uh, we kick. are back again for more goodness. Uh, this week we're going to be covering more Kill a Kill, but before that we have a major major thing that is super super exciting and that is the piece of news that blake has mentioned inside of here that i freaked out about the other day when i originally read it and uh it turns out on march 15th they wrapped initial shooting for cowboy bebop the live action netflix series it is really exciting it is something that i have been waiting for for a while uh, the finishing initial shooting doesn't really mean anything other than they were able to get enough footage to start to move on to the post-production process. That can take anywhere between six months and a year to two years to process. So we might be getting the Netflix adaptation inside of the fall block this year for TV, or we could be getting it to spring of next year. It's not 100% clear where they're going to land on that. I'm assuming because it is a high-budget show from Netflix that involves spacey things, there's going to be a lot of post-production stuff done to it. Um, You know, CGI and all-out things like that. Yeah, this is going to be probably on the longer end because it's a series. We don't know how many episodes, but Netflix usually hits about 8 to 12 episodes a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so they're probably, and the, I, I, if I had to guess, I'd bet that they're, you know, around 40 minutes an episode, they might be 20 minutes because that's what the animated series is, but I don't know. There's something about 
the live action, you know, I'm guessing it's going to fall in like an expanse territory, which is going to be, you know, about 40 minutes long, 40 to 45. That's um, what I'm hoping for, for sure. I, I think would... so. I think Cowboy Bebop can sustain an hour. You know, that's, I mean, 40 minutes is very much not an hour, but that's sort of in television before streaming the, if you had a show that was on for an hour, it actually ran for about 42 minutes. And then the rest of the time was, was commercial. So uh, usually when I think of an hour long episode, I'm actually thinking of a 40 minute episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of what I'm expecting for this. Although we don't know, but you know, if you, if you haven't been around for our previous discussions, if you haven't been following, or if you've just forgotten uh, the Netflix adaptation of Cowboy Bebop has been through some trials and tribulations, um, none of which bode ill for the final product. Uh, the biggest one was that uh, the main character, um, Spike Spiegel, who I believe that's being played by John Cho, right? That's correct. Um, which is exciting by itself. But uh, he received a pretty bad injury on set and they had to mm-hmm. shut down production. I believe this article says they shut down production for like nine months so yeah, that he, he could recover. He severely, he severely broke a limb. So I can't remember if it was a leg or an arm, but it was a serious break. In I'm assuming it was a leg. But the big thing about that is that Spike is very, very... Uh, focused on fighting and if you are unable to do a lot of the fight choreography sequences you're gonna lose a lot of what makes that show great so i'm assuming that's why they took so long it's sort of like a it's sort of like an injury inside of basketball or football or something like that where you have to give the player enough time to actually recover in order to go to full practice speed and game speed and Difference being that in basketball, football, whatever, there's other players that can continue playing the game for this. They just had to wait. Yeah. Um, I do think that, I think that it's a good thing that they waited. Um, Obviously they shouldn't have pushed forward, but uh, they could have started earlier. They could have not waited in some ways and sort of rewritten or shot around Spike that wouldn't make a lot of sense because he's the main character and he's probably going to be very much the focal point for a lot of episodes. But uh, also, you know, I don't know. You could see a future in which they were like, well, John is injured. He can't do a lot of the choreography we were hoping he would do. So we're just going to wash that out of his scenes. And instead, yeah. I think that would he ruin and a they lot wanted the show. it to stay. What did you say? That would ruin a lot of the show. <laughs> yeah. I, to, I guess what I'm trying to get at is the larger discussion that Spencer and I have had on here, which is that this could fail in a lot of ways, but it could also be great in a lot of ways. And Cowboy Bebop as an anime series is particularly well suited to a live action adaptation because there isn't that much about it that is outlandish in a way that won't translate well to screen. It's actually a pretty subdued you know grungy sci-fi uh series that you know honestly happened to be animated but really could have been done in live action mm-hmm. um in, in its initial run so the fact that they're ad- adapting this versus something like i don't know attack on titan full metal alchemist bleach these are things that have you know wilder concepts that have greater need for the good looking cgi and stuff like that with cowboy bebop they're going to be enhancing the production but they're not going to be making the production in post-production 
it's all about the characters. These are, you know, settings and, and props and vehicles and things that will theoretically be able to be done with a lot of practical effects, which means real things rather than things that are added in by computers later. So I don't know. To me, I think, again, understanding that there are so many ways they could stumble and mess up, but there are also so many ways that it could go well. And one of the most exciting pieces of news is that the production team and John Cho himself are all big fans of the original series, which means yeah. that there's a better chance that they will see in it what most people see in it and be able to bring that to the live action version. And things like allowing John to get over that injury. Unfortunately, they had to shut down production again because of COVID and then they came back. So there have been a lot of delays and, and challenges with the production. But the bits of news that we've heard about how they're handling the production gives me a lot of hope that they are moving in the right direction for a really good product. Yeah, I also have a lot of hope in it because Watanabe has given his blessing on multiple different rewrites of the episodes that they have done, as well as uh, his blessing on the initial cuts from uh, rough takes that they've started to do as well. So they've wrapped in Watanabe as well, and I am very, very trusting of him as a creator. He has done two of the best anime series of all time, uh, speaking of, obviously, Cowboy Bebop and also Samurai Champloo, and arguably one of the best new anime that goes a little bit under the surface for a lot of people, but uh, the Netflix series that he put out pretty recently, golly, how how long ago was that that they, they released? Um, oh God, why am I blanking on the name of this right now? Yeah, uh, you're going to have to describe it. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, did you find it yet? There we go. Shishiro. Oh, God. Watanabe released Carol and Tuesday. God, why did that take so long? I didn't know that was him. That was in 2019. Yeah, that's been a uh, while. But, you know, time has been really ambiguous lately. We basically lost an entire year, so yeah. it's it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, he directed it. And if, you, if you're wondering what some of the best directed anime of all time look like, all three of these shows are masterpieces. Uh, Carol and Tuesday is one that a lot of people that are inside of the shonen world did not seem to watch as much. And the biggest reason why is that it is obviously not a shonen in the sense that it is not a fight-centered anime. Yeah. It is much more centered around slice-of-life fun and also the beauty that is the music inside of that world. It is very well done. It is something that you should definitely watch. And uh, getting off my quick soapbox about that, the other things that we should do as like quick quick things is first and foremost, Discord is having some good times. We have gone from like twenty people in our Discord to uh, around sixty two as of this morning. Uh, more people are doing watch parties on there as well. So if you want to be a part of that, you definitely should. There's yeah, also more people that are... The Discord has become 
self-sustaining <laughs> yeah. like initially you know we kind of like we're like hey let's make these channels and then try to get the conversation started and like i noticed you spencer would often be posting things like how is everyone doing let us begin discussion today <laughs> and now it just <laughs> happens <laughs> yeah and i think that 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 happens more as as people find other people that they want to talk to inside yeah. of there i also try to jump in if you ever see uh, Blake responding, he will be responding as himself. I will be responding as the show. So that's just how it's set up. Uh, yeah. The other thing that is really random is that we did a magazine article that we yeah. were a part of. It's, it's a magazine article. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Podcast Magazine did an article on us. This was very exciting. We thought it was super cool. It's an actual, like, print magazine that is, like, professionally published. Like, you know, no shade on fan works, but it is not, it's not something that, like, enthusiasts put together to, to hand out at a convention. It's, like, a thing that you could find on a newsstand. And that is cool as hell. We are in there. There's full color pictures of like our logo in there that look really sick. And um, the person who interviewed us was very nice. And I think she somewhat misunderstood us. Um, We had a great conversation with her and I felt like we talked a lot and in a lot of ways not only about our show, but about anime as a medium. And one of the things that we addressed is that people who aren't currently into anime, uh, often the only thing that they know about it is either that it's cartoons and therefore it is for kids, or that it's porn and therefore it is gross, you know, absurd. You know, they, they know like it's not only porn, but it's weird porn. And uh, so we talked about addressing that from the perspective of the fact that that is a specter that's there for a lot of people who aren't into anime because the interviewer did not know. She she really didn't know anything about anime. And so we talked a lot about that um, and uh, talking about how, you know, you have to kind of uh, you have to kind of open up people's perceptions to let them know that there's other stuff involved and that anime is sort of less of a genre and more of a medium and all the different things that entails. And I I don't know, I remember us spending a lot of time talking about like how anime was influenced by Disney and talking about studio Ghibli and all this stuff. And uh, when we finally got the article, it's a, it's pretty heavy on the porn stuff. (laughs) And a lot of the other stuff isn't as prominent. And so it kind of makes it sound like we're a porn podcast, which uh, uh, clearly we're not. (laughs) So, yeah, we are we were very excited to be interviewed. I am still very excited to have been interviewed for a published magazine to be able to say, like, look, I have an interview with me in a magazine. It's published. There's my picture. Um, but the article, I think, was a bit of a miss as far as actually, I, I don't think it represents well what our show is or is about or is like. I think she got bogged down in certain details that she found interesting uh, and then misattributed them to the show as a larger whole. 
I don't think intentionally or directly, but just the way that it comes up and the way that the article is written makes it sound a little too much like we are talking about porn or like all of the anime we're talking about have pornographic elements in them, uh, which is not the case. <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of those kind of uh, set up and a little bit of uh, a letdown with that. Uh, I will say at the end of the day that I'm not, you know, it's not the end of the world. Uh, It's not going to, you know, completely wreck us or something like that or mess with us or something like that. So it's not that big of a deal. But it is a little bit disheartening that the the specter of the way that anime is perceived is the thing that still catches people's attention that are not inside of the anime community. And the fact that so much of our conversation with her, which was over an hour and which she recorded in its entirety, uh, that we spent a lot of great pains explaining to her that there is porn and that a lot of people misunderstand that that is what all anime is, but that that is very far from the truth. And that is a misconception that we try to address with our show. Mm-hmm. And it seems that the article is sort of predicated very much on that misconception and not on the fact that we are, you know, combating it. And so that it was, it, yeah, it's still exciting, but it's also a bummer. But, you know, it's exciting. I'm like, on the one hand, this is great. On the other hand, I don't think I'm going to show my parents this. Yep. That's exactly how I felt as well. But anyways... With all that being said, and uh, speaking of nudists, let's talk mm-hmm. about what happened previously on Kill a Kill. Maybe a little bit of an ironic segue, but sure. So we are talking about Kill a Kill. That is a series that is, uh, you know, very much working off of cartoon logic, but still with that sort of teenage adult aesthetic. It is a series about people having superpowered fights by gaining those powers from these special clothes that they wear. And it centers on a girl named Ryuko. Ryuko starts the series off having discovered that her father has been killed and suspecting that he was killed by the student body president of the local high school. This just makes me think of one of the memes posted in our Discord where they were like, it was like the pyramid of like global powers and going up like different state governments and, you know, country governments. And at the top was student body councils in anime. And that is so true here. So Ryuko wants to fight Satsuki. She is the head of the student body at a local high school. And she's basically the uh, totalitarian regime leader of the area including and surrounding the high school as a result of the, you know, absurd society set up in this anime. So Ryuko suspects that she killed her, her dad. She just learned that she uh, did not kill her dad, but also is still kind of responsible because she more or less ordered a hit. And uh, so Ryuko is still pissed at her. She fights with a big scissor blade and she found a special set of clothes, a sentient set of clothes called Senketsu. And Senketsu is uh, something called a Kamui, which is a special uniform. Most of the uniforms that give people special powers in this series are called Goku uniforms. And they have what's called a life fiber, which is basically a special thread that can um, channel and enhance the energy of its wearer to give them special powers. So Goku uniforms have life threads sewn into them to allow for special power making. Kamui are just made out of life 
uh, threads, so they are super, super powerful, much stronger than Goki uniforms. They're basically uncut, pure, not stepped on shit version of Goku uniforms. So uh, Ryuko wears her Kamui Senketsu to fight Satsuki. Satsuki has four members of the student body that surround her uh, called the Elite Four. They are the super strongest, sort of like, uh, you know, generals of her army. And uh, Satsuki has set her sights on um, conquering the nearby schools because of a... uh, a sense that she has more power now. This sense comes from the fact that Ryuko just spent uh, the past couple of episodes of our coverage fighting in a sort of um, gauntlet tournament against the Elite Four, which sounds awfully familiar to me, uh, where she um, ended up losing control and um, that gave her like a sort of superpower boost, but also left her drained. So Ryuko is in a bad place because she she lost control it ended up with her acting uncontrollably, which is an embarrassment, but also it was uh, unpleasant and painful for Senketsu, and she feels responsible for that. However, on the other side, Satsuki and the Elite Four got a lot of information out of Ryuko's fight, and they have found ways to enhance the Goku uniform so that they can march on these other schools. Um, Behind all of this, there's a guy who's been posing as a homeroom teacher at the school, a dude named Aikuro. Aikuro has uh, pretty much at every opportunity taken the uh, chance to reveal that he is part of a secret organization known as Nudist Beach that in some hitherto unspecified way is working against Satsuki and her goals. And we'll find out more about that today as well. I think that's everything you need to know. And that starts us with episode 13. All right, so episode 13 is named Crazy For You, and this episode starts out with uh, Lady Satsuki preparing to launch all of her attacks against these other different places. One is Osaka, one is Kyoto, and one is Kobe. One of my favorite things about this sequence (laughs) is, oh my god, Mako is the funniest character inside of all three of these episodes by far. Yeah. It is not even close. One of the funniest things is she's like, oh, these three different places, one over here, one over here, and one over here. And they're like, (laughs) no, that's wrong. All three of them are here, here, and here. And they're not that far from each other. And she's like, oh. And then you watch uh, her journey as she is latched along with these raids and taken along. It is so funny. It's and the way hilarious she too because she keeps being like, they're all going without me, but I don't want to go. But I'd like to be invited. But if I were invited, I'd have to go. <laughs> and I don't want to go. But I don't like yeah. that they're going without me. And she's just like trapped in this loop. <laughs> she is so amazingly funny inside of these. Um, the other thing that is very important that has happened is that uh, Ryuko, uh, she is still not afraid of putting Senkatsu back on. And the reason why is that she completely lost control before inside of the Elite Four fight. And because of that, she is worried not that she is going to be hurt by Senkatsu, but that she is going to hurt Uh, her uniform and the reasoning why is that she pumped so much of her hot blood uh, 
into mm-hmm. him that he lost control and they turned into a gigantic monster looking creature. This is going to be something that is very important later on, but it's this like when episode... Taichi accidentally digivolves Greymon into uh, Skull Greymon. Uh, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Stop it's the bringing exact up Digimon. Same thing. Anyways, there are new Goku uniforms as well that have been enhanced from the data gathered from recent battles with uh, Ryuko, and uh, they look like. S- old man sweatsuits. <laughs> like, uh, see, I it, thought they were a little bit more like, you know, uh, n- non-spandex superhero costumes, but yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, they look like they should be made out of velour and have an old man running in them at all times. Anyways, there is another new character that is going to be introduced. His name is Shinjiro, He introduces himself as a guy from the newspaper club, and he has been thrown out of school because he was printing things that the student council did not want him to be printing. Um, Ikaro does not trust him, but he's like, well, he's on the internet, so I guess he's legit. Uh, (laughs) Not knowing that that's not how the internet works, you can definitely just put anything up there that you want, I guess. And uh, he ends up not really being trusted by Ryoko until he eventually gets attacked so many times in front of her that she steps in in order to save him. And the only way that she can do this is by putting back on Senketsu. Yeah, so she puts Senketsu on, is able to, to, uh, you know, step in to protect him. And then he's like, surprise, it wasn't me. It was Dio. And uh, <laughs> it turns out that it's this character that we met last time named Nui, who is kind of a threat of an equivalent level to Satsuki. When she mm-hmm. showed up last time, I don't think I mentioned this. She shows up and I was half expecting for the series to turn from Satsuki as the final villain to Satsuki and Ryuko working together to fight Nui. And it may mm-hmm. still, but uh, basically she's that strong. She could be, she's strong enough that she could be the true final boss or I don't know. She, she seems somewhere around Satsuki's level, something of a similar threat. And, you know, she's also sort of frenemies with Satsuki because Satsuki's mother runs the biggest clothing conglomerate in the world. And in the They literally of this produce show, 95% of the clothing around the world. Yeah. We see they actually a, a, show a graph of like I know. market saturation. It's <laughs> That's so what good. I was about to say. And I was like, oh wow, they're so they're running the sweatshops that are pr- providing for the gap and old navy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they uh they um so uh, Nui is um, is uh, very high level in Satsuki's mother's company, and I don't I don't know. I think Satsuki is also involved in the company, but I think it might be sort of. I th- I get the impression that her position is more honorary, like she is the daughter of the CEO and has uh, you know uh, aspirations to someday be you know 
clothing goddess as well. So I think people... <laughs> Rainbow I, clothing goddess. <laughs> yeah, to me, it, I get the impression that it's like, she is the CEO's daughter, and surely that means that she's involved in some of these decisions, even yeah. though she's not involved in necessarily an official capacity, whereas Nui is. She's actually the head of one of the departments. She's basically yeah. she's basically a C-level employee in Satsuki's mother's company, even though she is the same age as Ryuko and Satsuki. By the way, somebody posted online the other day a thing about comparing different fight strategies if you were to try to fight a, a, a person inside of anime against a Pokemon. And that got me thinking while we were talking about this that if if uh, Satsuki's mother was a Pokemon, she would definitely be a Togekiss. Like, <laughs> a Togekiss? Yeah. <laughs> okay, why do you say that? That's the big fly, the big flying one, right? It is a big flying one, yes. That looks like a kind of like a spaceship. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's what she reminds me of every time she I, I see her now because of that conversation, just because of her big wavy hair things that stick out, and the fact that she sort of just kind of floats around. That's mm. that's that's my uh, either that or like a melodic. Yeah, I actually, uh, I think melodic makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But um, anyways, uh, back to the actual show at hand. Nui uh, is going to attack Ryuko, and she is going to uh, immediately eviscerate uh, Senkatsu and cut into little teeny tiny pieces her uniform and then take it away to give it over to Lady Satsuki and Satsuki immediately stitches it into a bunch of the different troops that are going to be going on these raids in order to make them the first line of attack. Also, and that takes also, us... Also, did Satsuki stop Nui from delivering a killing blow to Ryuko? Mm, I don't remember that. I thought so, but then I... Sometimes the show moves so fast... That I'm like, did I interpret that correctly or not? And I, I sometimes think... go back and sometimes I don't. And I didn't on this one and now I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that that is revealed in a later episode when you find out that everything of uh, Senketsu has been taken away except for a little shred which looks kind of like the eye that is part of the top part of the uniform. It's like a lapel. And she turns it into a... Uh, scarf that she wears around her neck and runs around fighting with her scissor blade. That takes us into episode 14, Ride Like the Wind. This episode picks up first and foremost with Ryuko being awakened by Aikuro, who reveals a couple of things. First and foremost, he is no longer going to keep up his facade. Instead, he is going to go back to his full nudist of nudist beach and slowly take off his clothes and then get into a car and ride away like the wind. Yeah. It is God, this ridiculous. Is so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is just completely insane. And then the fight sequences start with the raids. And one of my favorite ones is the first raid that happens with uh oh my gosh what is his what is his stinking name the uh uh the uh Kamigaro or uh uh what is it uh I can't remember do, do, do. their names so I'm not going to be able to help Well you. anyways he is fighting people with rule books and it is great 
There is also the most ridiculous version. If you're watching the, the dubbed version of this, this might be one of the most hilarious dubbed episodes because the characters that are introduced at the different schools that they are attacking are just ridiculous. Yeah, these um, are so charming. Yeah, the first school that they attack has a a sect of American students who have come to deal with them as well, and they're wearing armored uniforms that are like football uniforms, American football, and... They also just use ridiculous slang and they curse so much. Yeah, um. <laughs> this is the one. I, this is the one in Kobe. The, what's mm. fun is that if you know a little bit about these region, these uh, these areas of Japan, which I know very little bit about them, but just enough to be dangerous here. The Kobe people, they they have these football player dudes, and then later on they will wear a special armor made from Kobe beef. That protects yes. them, yeah, and like absorbs Gamagori, attack the into way. the marble of the beef. <laughs> and yeah. then um, Kyoto is a pretty spiritual place, and so they've got the four guardian beasts, which is a, a pretty prominent um, Japanese mythology that shows up in all kinds of anime, including Digimon. Thank you. Mm. And so their guardians uh, represent that, and then Osaka is uh, treated here like a a sort of tourist trap money is king Vegas-esque gangster paradise. Yeah. Um, by the way, Gamagori is the one that is attacking uh, against the the American students as He's well as... He's the big as, blonde dude. Yeah. So he is going to be fighting with rules. Um, the next fight that we see is going to be that, that one that Blake talked about with the... Uh, the battle with the four giant beasts that are supposed to protect them. That one is a little bit, probably the silliest one of them. Uh, it also which gets is, the least screen time. I remember them introducing it, and then I was like, they kind of, it kind of faded behind the other two. Yeah. So, uh, it, it is, it is first and foremost, it's supposed to be a battle that is just between Nanan and her team against these giant beasts, but these beasts are freaking out her troops so much that they're not able to fight because of these, ta- these, I almost call them tail beasts, um, but protected <laughs> beasts that are up there. And, uh, so, uh, she, she is, uh, not able to get her troops to go into battle immediately. And she is bailed out, um, by, uh, I think it's pronounced Hoka and, he comes in and uses a really it it feels so much like a hand wave but i guess it's they had to write something technology based for him to do um he comes in and he releases a anti um it's like a anti wave that knocks out these big protective mythical beasts that are supposed to be protecting the like school an EMP, but Instead of hitting electronics, it hits mythical protection beasts. Yeah, and if this goes over your head, you're not the only one. It also goes over Nanon's head. or It may not have gone over her head. It might just be that she's just like, I don't care at all about this. And then it goes into a straight-up fight where she just blows them away with her, her people shooting out big, giant musical blasts. And then the last one is going to be uh, Uzu... 
and he is fighting against one of the greatest, most ridiculous characters um, that is the Osaka boss, Kanio. Or yeah, this Kanio. guy sounds like he's from, like, Cartoon Network, Courage the Cowardly Dog era. He is Or, like, ridiculous. Dexter's Lab or something. He is... He is... It, not only does he have Zinni over his grill that he has inside of his mouth... Zinni is standing for money. The way that he has his troops fight is that they put stacks of cash that is put out by his syndicate um, or his his Yakuza, and they shoot it through machine guns, or he throws it out to people that live inside of his city so that they will fight for him no matter what. It is ridiculous. Um, And it it is just such a... It is such a really interesting way that they build up this fighting style that he comes up with with his people. Um, Meanwhile, uh, one of the funniest things is still happening inside of this, which is um, uh, (laughs) Mako is like, okay, I'm in Osaka now. And Osaka has the best food and the best places to go sightseeing. It's awful that I'm here. And it's awful that I got roped into this and I don't have any money. I hope that they shoot money or there's a way to get money around here. And when they start (laughs) shooting money at her, she just like grabs it out of the air and then runs to buy a whole bunch of food. And then keeps on... Every time she joins the fray, instead of actually doing any fighting, instead she's just collecting money to go sightseeing. (laughs) It's just... Yeah, they are... They have like the the Osaka crew have these machine guns that shoot out bills, but they are not local. They are not local currency in the sense that it's not Japanese currency. It is basically shroot bucks with the the guy, the guy's face, like the the dude, the main the main guy that they're fighting. I've got his name in here somewhere. Kaneo, Kaneo's face is on there. And he, they're like, they shoot this money at, at um, Satsuki's forces. And they're like, this, this isn't real money. And he's like, it is around here. If it's got my face on it, it's just as good, if not better than, you know, the the yen. And so they're just shooting shroot bucks and Stanley Nichols all over the place. And uh, as soon as Mako sees this, she like goads one of them into shooting her. And then he, like, opens fire on her and she moves faster than the eye can see to, like, snatch all the dollar bills out of the air. And then she's like, now I've got money and runs off to go buy stuff. <laughs> she's she's hilarious in these moments. Okay, that takes us into episode 15, Don't Stop Me Now. This episode is so, so great. It is the culmination of everything that you wanted from this battle. And the first thing that we're going to be having happened is that Ryuko has been traveling to each one of these different battle scenes and defeating all of the people that are wearing Goku uniforms that have pieces of Senketsu attached, collecting these, and then riding off. Every time she appears at a different place, they play her, like, theme song, and it's really great, and then she runs off on a motorcycle. It's, It's just great. Um, the last part of her uniform that she needs, though, is actually being wear- worn by Lady Satsuki. It is her glove. And in order to fight against Lady Satsuki, uh, she must first get this glove back because the only way that she can make Senketsu go back together is by getting all the different pieces of him. Because if 
she is processing the power of Senketsu through her body without it being fully put together. It is going to create a power vacuum in a part of her body that is not wearing the uniform, and it is going to hurt so bad that you can only do it for a couple of seconds before it makes you pass out from the pain. She instead opts to do this for a little bit so that she can just get the glove as quickly as possible. And so she powers through having her hand basically is a shining, burning fist that is hurting her so bad that she can only sustain it for just a couple of seconds. She gets back of the glove and is able to get into an all-out battle with Satsuki. It is great. Um, yeah, the animation here, it, the animation this show is always good, but it's better here in this scene. Like, they just, I think, I don't know, they they splurged on a few extra frames per second or something. Like, it just looks a little crisper and a little more fluid, and it's it's very good. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Osaka boss, Kanio, has, uh, has started to fight inside of a anti-Goku uniform mech that is made of gold, and it looks like a crab. It's uh, so he, good. He is fighting against uh, the, the uh, I, I think it's Uzo, uh, and they're going back and forth. There is also a um, ridiculous... Uh, I don't know if it's homophobic as much as if it is just, like, ridiculous but thing that happens inside of it which is that the final blow after knocking apart his anti-Goku uniform crab is that he is going to be stabbed in the butt by Uzo. Um, <laughs> I, th- I don't think that's as homophobic as it is. Like, you know, there's that Japanese thing where they, like, poke each other in the asses that, like, Naruto did. Uh, I think it's probably a reference to that. One of the funniest parts about it, though, is that instead of being like, ow, instead he goes, ow, and then he makes a face like, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, that takes us into the uh, the other final battle that is happening between the people of Nudist Beats, uh, who are joining forces with Ryuko. Um, however, it turns out that the Elite Four have all gotten new Goku uniforms, and they are all super powerful again. And They're they also started... very cool and kind of mech-like, and I like yeah. them a lot. They get into an all-out fight. The funniest of all of the different fighters that is out there, though, is definitely Ikaro. Ikaro's nudist costume mech thing is like his body with just the, you know... Basically, his crotch area covered in a mech suit, but the rest of his body just kind of out and nude and running <laughs> around. Um, he, it is it is great and ridiculous. They are it's burning cool too, Osaka Ryuko, to the ground, by the way. <laughs> what'd you say? They are burning Osaka to the ground. Yeah, it's wrecked. It, it's also interesting because they show up to fight against... They show up to fight with Ryuko a little bit less because they're allying with Ryuko than because they've been intending to fight against Satsuki this whole time. But, uh, you know, either way it works. And Ryuko knows Ikaro and knows that he keeps getting undressed and saying he's part of something called Nudist Beach. But now a giant army of people claiming to be Nudist Beach have shown up. And in this moment, she's like, what the hell? This is a real organization? Like this whole time she thought he was just fucking with her and just being like a creep. But uh, yeah, no, he's actually part of a, an organization with just, you know, philosophical nudity. Yeah. And I don't know, they they say something here 
Uh, none of this makes logical sense if you examine it too closely. But basically, the Satsuki, because she's part of this, you know, worldwide clothing conglomerate that has almost complete market saturation, their whole goal is to, you know, blanket the world in their clothes, and then they they kind of are, you know, the king, you know, the the rulers of the world because they control the production of these clothes and maybe potentially control the people wearing their clothes. Although I don't know if that's maybe me just reading too much into it, Yeah. but nudist beach is basically, they are nudists because they don't trust clothes because the clothes in this weird anime world, uh, you know, give people powers and could potentially be used to control other people. And so they're sort of like, they're anarchists, but because the means of power of this world is clothing, they are nudists, too. Yeah. Okay, so that takes us to the final fight inside of these episodes, which is going to be Lady Satsuki against Ryuko. It is a great back-and-forth battle. There is a, 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 a lot of moments that have a good back-and-forth where both of them have to use different techniques in order to best each other. The first is Ryuko using her body as a blade in order to get stabbed by Satsuke and shoot the blood out of that sword into her eyes in order to knock her sword out of her hands and get her on the other foot. And then Satsuke counters this by, uh, after being put at a knife's edge with a sword, she also uses her uh, uniform to turn into a blade and put that to Ryuko's neck. It takes us into this final moment. That final moment is uh, Ryuko is like, I'm not willing to let all of these people die in order to prove a point and defeat you. And Satsuki's like, well, I also, I, I guess I'm not able to do that or willing to do that either. They reach like a battle understanding and a war standoff um, and then leave each other from the fight. But not before. Lady Satsuki has already given a uh she has already given a kill uh, a kill order from Nono uh to destroy the base of Nudist Beach that has already happened so Nudist Beach has sustained a lot of damage to be fair I believe that the high school that Satsuki is over has also received a massive amount of injuries and damage but they take away that uh, because of know. this, nudist beach is probably going to be hobbled moving forward. Yeah, I got the impression that Satsuki and Ryuko's fight was a draw, and that part of the reason they were willing to call it a draw was that the perceived outcome was that both sides had taken great losses. And while that may still be true, it seems to me, based on how things played out and also some of the things that Satsuki was saying at the end that she feels that it was actually a victory for her, that she got to walk away with her life. She got to walk away having crippled these other schools and nudist beach, which she, I believe has actually known about this whole time and has been, you know, expecting to move against her. And now she feels like that is a threat that's been functionally neutralized. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I got the impression that she was making it, she was playing along with the idea that they had both come to a stalemate, but that she actually internally felt that she had already won the battle and therefore could accept 
a draw with Ryuko because mm-hmm. secretly she was already victorious. Yeah. That, that was how it played out to me. Yeah. Which I so, love because that makes her a great villain, you know? The last of this epi- episode is Ikaro being uh, willing to tell Ryuko all of the secrets that she has been looking for. And that leaves us on the cliffhanger that takes us away from these episodes. And stick with us after these credits and we'll talk about what's coming on next time. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash get jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, owner and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind. We interrupt your awesome, regularly scheduled programming to ensure you're aware of The Geekly Grind podcast network, of which this show is a treasured member of. If you haven't had a chance to check out our site, you can do so at thegeeklygrind.com, and while you're there, take a look at the other members of our steadily growing podcast family, including the anime-centric Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, discovering new heroes on comic book keepers with Chris and Lance, exploring the vast universe of geekdom with Geek Exploration, or appreciating animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. Escape your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Naruto Shippuden episodes 39 through 43. Where we are going to get all these motherfucking snake men off of this motherfucking bridge. <laughs> nice. <laughs>